Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes, the premier podcast on hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. As a worldwide educator and developer of best-in-class hand therapy content, Susan Weiss, occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, brings you an array of hand therapy specialists, hand care solutions, and more. Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes. I'm so excited to bring you all an amazing team to chat with everybody today. Mark Cuban from Shark Tank, yes, I said Shark Tank, called Barbara and her daughter Becca the American Dream Team. We are fortunate enough to have these ladies take some time with us to tell their story. Barbara is an occupational therapist and hand therapist who has created loads of orthoses and adaptive equipment in her many years as an occupational therapist. And she created a method out of thermoplastic to get her granddaughter out of her car seat because of her own CMC joint pain, which was interfering with that process. Her daughter, Becca, who's passionate about entrepreneurship, saw mom with this thermoplastic creation and recognized the market value in this invention that her mom created. She thought to herself, hmm, my mom can't be the only person with this issue. And four years later, here we are with these superstars to share their story. So let's start with Barbara telling us how she got into hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. I actually graduated with a degree in social work. And um, I thought, well, okay, I need to get a master's. And so I started looking for that. And then I ran across the MOT degree, the master's degree. And I thought, and I had met some, some OTs. I went to University of Wisconsin and I had met some OTs there toward the end of my four years. And I thought, that really sounds cool. We should have kind of known about that. So then when I saw the master's program, I thought, oh, this is like perfect. So went ahead, got the master's MOT in Michigan, University of Kalamazoo. And um, then I, I started working at um, Mayo Clinic as an OT. Um, general rehab, did a lot of spinal cord patients, uh, a lot of adaptions for hands as, as with the spinal cord patients. Um, there's so many of their vocational, avocational, so many things they need to be able to do to be independent, dressing, all of that. So just, you know, being creative and coming up with assistive devices for them. Um, just, it, you know, the thing about OT, I guess that drew me to it was the, um, well, originally there was sort of an art aspect you know, it's just a creative art aspect that I also liked. It was, I thought, kind of more, a little more interesting than physical therapy, straight physical therapy. So um, with that background, I um, got involved in hands at Mayo Clinic. They had a three-month program that was awesome. I mean, you followed the hand surgeon around. You completely taken out of the clinic for three months. Saw all their surgeries, followed them around. They did lectures for you, learned everything about hands, and then... They expected you to stay there, <laughs> and I um, did for a while, and then I went to Houston, Texas, and got a job setting up a clinic, a hand and upper extremity clinic for Foundered Orthopedic Group, which is a huge group in Houston, um, and again, all along, I did a lot of splinting, as you know, we do, and so it turns out then, of course, I moved to England, and I didn't work for a while, and then I... Um, Anyway, take it back to just recently with this invention. I have 
as I've gotten older, I have developed some, you know, CMC joint arthritis. And, you know, doing some research, I found that a third of women over 50, 55 have CMC joint arthritis on some level. Uh, mine's pretty bad. So when my daughter, Becca, um, had her first baby, I said, I'll help you with childcare. I was very excited. And um, then I realized, well, I'm going to need a car seat. Searching car seats found that that nine pounds of pressure to release. And these are standardized, federally uh, allocated. They have to be that. And so I knew I had to figure out a way to open that car seat or I couldn't take her child anywhere. So that was just a need. And I think a lot of good inventions come from a need. Um, I solved it for myself. I took my split material. I made this little, I used the lever concept to reduce the force. So it's a little C-shaped thing like this. And the post is in the center so that when you push the end, it creates a force to reduce the nine pounds down to about three pounds so that someone that has pain can do it easily. Um, I could do it. It worked great for me. I was continuing to use this one made out of my splint material. And then my daughter kind of said, Mom, <laughs> what is that you're doing? So, Beck, you want to take it away from there? Or is there another any more questions for me right now? Or should we take it to her? No, I absolutely love that you were able to solve the problem. That's the main thing. And I think as OTs, we're capable of solving the problems. We look at the patients all the time and, and we figure out how to solve their problem. But I think the point that you brought up was not only did you realize that there was a problem, but when your daughter looked at it, what happened? Something happened from there. That's where I'd love Becca to say, hey, what happened after you saw your mom solved the problem she was having? You might not even have known it was a problem until you saw this funky looking thing she made. Well, I knew it was a problem because she was complaining about, you know, her thumb hurting and that these car seats were so difficult. And as she mentioned, we went shopping and realized that we weren't going to find a car seat that was, you know, an easy push button. And that certainly makes sense. You don't want, you know, they're regulated for a reason, right? Because you don't want kids to be able to unbuckle themselves while the car is moving. So it is a much higher standard of pressure that's required for, for child safety buckles. Um, so I knew about the problem. And I, you know, when I saw the device she had created, I was really impressed. And I think, you know, having a mom that's an OT, it's it's a really cool field um, and very creative, as my mom said. So I, I thought it was was great. Um, I also just right away thought, you know, if you have this problem and this is really radically changing your ability to spend time with your grandchild, it's not a small thing. I mean, my mom is very active. You know, I know several friends whose grandparents also take care of their kids, and grandparents today want to be involved with their grandkids. You know, they're more mobile, they're more you know have energy and want to do things. Um, so not being able to take them out in the car, like that, was a very clear, you know, boundary of like, you should be able to do this. And if this little tool is what makes the difference between you being able to have those memories, you know, taking your daughter to, or your granddaughter to the zoo and not, that's huge. Um, well, also safety. They're just like, made me realize I, I hadn't thought about it in that respect. Now, if you get the child in and you can't get the child out, what if there's an emergency, you have to get yes. them out and they're, they're exactly. you have to find somebody down the street to get your your exactly. Well, and, and I think you had that experience one time, mom, you went to take her for ice cream and I think you had to go get the employee from inside the store to come out and unbuckle her. I mean, it's I a very real problem. Side, I keep it in the side pocket right down below the car seat because it does not attach for safety reasons. You don't want the child getting out at the wrong time. So I drop it in that little pocket on the door. And for some reason it wasn't there. Someone took it out or why didn't put it back. 
And yes, I had to ask, ask someone at the ice cream store, could you please help me get her out? And we've had people write us that have bought these products saying, thank goodness you came up with this because I have had to ask strangers. So it's not uncommon. And even worse than that are people who know they can't unbuckle it. And so they just don't buckle it. And they drive around with their child without that buckled because they know they can't do it. Wow. So that's a definite uh, safety item. You're right on that. Yeah. So for all those reasons, yeah, I mean, I just thought this was a really great product that she had created. And I've, I've always had a bit of a bug in my ear for entrepreneurship. I went to business school. Um, I started, I've kind of been in the corporate world my whole career and was always in business school, secretly jealous of the entrepreneurship you know, classes and people that were kind of in the corners talking about, you know, these new great startup ideas they had. I always thought that sounded so fun, but I felt like I never had that great idea. And so I think when I saw, you know, my mom's kind of invention, um, before we even called it an invention, it was just her little tool. I thought, you know, maybe this is that golden opportunity I've been sort of looking for. And so for the, you know, for those reasons, I think I sort of jumped on it and thought, well, let's, let's test this, you know, let's see if, if there's a possibility. And so I think the first phase we went into, which I think is super, super important, especially for OTs that have ideas, is really just to, to kind of validate and test that mass appeal and that mass market appeal. Because, you know, it's great if it works for one person, but I think in order to spend certainly the time, but certainly, you know, also the money it takes to bring a product to market, you, know, you really have to know that there's going to be a market out there of people that's big enough to, you know, for you to reach and for, for you to be able to, you know, make the economics work. Um, but also that people, you know, are going to buy it and that there's a price point that people will pay for it that, you know, is reasonable with respect to what you could produce it for. So all those sort of economics and early, you know, validation points were really, really important. Um, and that was really, how do you do that when you said that, how do you validate and test a market as an OT? I've seen many therapists and myself have treated many patients that you just come up with something that looks really cool and you don't ever think about what else you could do with it. Like, like, you know, like Barbara said, it just yeah. it worked for her. And now you with the business background, I love that you're, you know, sharing this and that you've brought this to, you know, fruition as a therapist, if you have something you think, Oh, that would be really cool. And you said, okay, you need to go validate and test the market for the mass appeal. How do we do that? What do we do? You know, it's, that's again, where the creativity comes as well, because you have to think about, you know, who are my customers? And so for us, it was immediately like, okay, probably grandparents. Where are the grandparents? Like, let's go find them and let's ask them. I mean, and it comes down to, you know, some of the tactics can be, um, you know, digital. You, I mean, certainly Google, you know, Google all the statistics around how many people have arthritis and how many grandparents are taking care of kids. And we looked at census data and I mean, you know, just to get a sense of the big market. Mm-hmm. But I think then you have to take it to a more tactical level and say, you know, really talk to them and say, hey, you know, do you really have this problem? Like, is this real for you? And would you pay for a solution? Now, that's another big hurdle because a lot of people... I know have started that research and found that people are like, oh yeah, that's really annoying. I I have that problem too. Would you pay for a solution? Nah, probably not. I think it's not that Mm. big of a problem for me. So I think we had to make sure we were, again, past that next hurdle of not only is it a problem, but it's a big enough problem that someone will open their wallet and give me money for a solution. And that's that's an additional test. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's lots of different ways you can do market research. There's, you know, surveys certainly you can send out. One of the things we did... We sent out a lot of, uh, really, weren't they the orthoplast samples? We well, sent that, out, of, that, out of my people that I know that said they had that problem and they were 
Um, you know, because I'm older, I'm a grandparent. So my friends, a lot of my friends tried it. Didn't we do that? We sent out some. To some degree. I think what I'm remembering most is, and, and one of the technologies that I think really helps with inventors now that never existed before was, is 3D printing. So mm-hmm. one of the first things we did was, you know, when we had to start to translate my mom's prototypes in her kitchen into something a little bit more official or formal as we started to move towards manufacturing, you know, we had to get our computer-aided design drawings done and we had to hire an engineer to help us do that. But when we started being able to do 3D prints, that was huge. And those are the ones, mom, I remember sending out. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they weren't, I mean, they weren't yours, but they were, they were 3D prints of our early design. Um, And they're not going to be, you know, full, you know, hardy proof in terms of the materials and all of that. I mean, I still, I told this story the other day that I think we sent out maybe 50 or 75 of these 3D prints early on to people that we had found. They tried it, gave us feedback. We got some really great feedback um, from some of that early testing. But I actually just got a message from someone like after Shark Tank that was like, I still have one of your early prototypes. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing that someone has followed us for this long. And still, and she's like, it just broke last week. And I'm like, I can't believe it even lasted that long. Like these were not meant to be like, they were, of course they're going to break. It's a, it's a 3d print, but um, you know, just goes to show, I think you can, there's a few reasons why it's really valuable to do that. You certainly get feedback on the design, on the, you know, how much, like we even said, how much would you pay for this thing that's in your hand right now? And got some good feedback around that. Um, couple of features that they said, you know, this would be great if there was a, you know, keychain loop or somewhere to attach it. So that was really useful. But you also like, you know, that story that I just shared, you get those early adopters and those early kind of ambassadors of your product that then you can go back to and they help tell their friends. And mm-hmm. again, it, it helps from a lot of different perspectives, but I think it's important to, to do that. And it's also important to ask strangers for feedback. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I know you know, it's easy to ask your five friends and their, you know, your family members, and what do you think of my new product idea? And everyone's going to say, it's so great. Um, but making sure you ask people that don't care how you feel and are not afraid to hurt your feelings is a really important step too. That's excellent. I I really like that idea as far as when you have something and you think, what can I do with this? Not just saying to your five best friends, hey, yeah. what do you think? You got to really say and put yourself at that um, zone of strangers that really that's a very I mean, good point and you'll save yourself you know money stress pain down the road like you know if it's not a good idea or if there's something that you need to pivot let a stranger tell you or you know people that give you really honest feedback and either change it early on when it's easier to make those changes or maybe it's not the right product you know if there's not a big enough market but it's better to find that out in the beginning than after you've invested a lot of money down the road to find out the same answer is that people don't really want your product then you, you know, you've gone a bit further than you probably should have. So I think early validation is the most important step. So that's towards the beginning. And then you did that, obviously, it was about four years ago. So what yeah. else did you do? I mean, this is just a, a brilliant journey. And I'd love to hear a little bit more if you could share a little bit more about what happens after you did your validation and market assessment and you determined, hey, there's something we need to keep going forward. Then what? Yeah. I mean, then it just is a bit of a snowball of just, you know, Google becomes your best friend (laughs) trying to figure out what the next step is, but, you know, finding a manufacturer and there's lots of considerations around that. And we, we found a good partner that we started working with and started uh, our, our product is injection is made with an injection mold um, is what it's called. So if you think of like an ice tray, basically we had to buy the ice tray that you then start shooting parts by filling it with plastic one after the other. So that's kind of how it's made. Um, And most most plastic products that you see on the market are made with a similar process with an injection tool. 
And um, and I will say we also explored some crowdfunding. We did a Kickstarter campaign. We did a Kickstarter. It was another right. way to validate the necessity and the willingness of people to pay for the product. And we, mm. we were successful on that platform. So that validated us. And we also then gave us some money to go ahead and pay for the mold that she's talking about, which is quite expensive. I'm sure. And you don't want to do that if it isn't going to be successful because then you've just lost money. <laughs> so that that helped us too. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And then from there, it's just marketing. I mean, we hit the market, I think in 2017. So it's been two and a half years or so. And then it's just the hustle of how do you get more customers? How do you find your customers? How do you scale? How do you reach distributors? We've worked with retail, you know, we work with retailers across the country, um, you know, and, and it's been a really exciting, fun journey of just the creative ways to find customers. So do you have a storefront or do you, um, ship out of your homes or how do you do the shipments that you're fulfilling from your specific website, which will so we share a, everybody the details on your website. We got a little promo code and all kinds of goodies for them, but it, it started what, what out. Yeah. It started out with us actually doing it ourselves in our okay. living room with boxes, which we have pictures of. And then it got really, really busy. And, and we just thought, you know, okay, this is not efficient, especially for, you know, my daughter who, does consulting at a pretty good rate <laughs> with, <laughs> with with her company. So um, it was like, I can't, we can't be doing this. We, um, we switched over to a fulfillment center that they now do it for us. And again, you know, then you have to pay them and so on. But um, yeah, that's, we have a film fulfillment center and we're on Amazon. And of course, Amazon does it all for you. Right. Um, you just send your product to Amazon. They end up taking about a third of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then they handle everything for you. So we made a lot of phone calls to Nordstrom to Bye Bye Baby. We actually, we, you know, we would do trade shows mm. and show the product. And then if we were in Florida somewhere, we would just, if there's a Bye Bye Baby there, we would take a cab and run over to the Bye Bye Baby store and show the, the manager there. Wow. Go back and finish our trade show. <laughs> and in, I mean, it was hard work, but in the end, um, it all paid it, paid out because now it's in every bye-bye baby store, I think in the U S isn't it Becker? Is it? Yeah, it is. And I mean, then, you, you know, there's, what's interesting about this journey, I think, is that every time you hit a milestone, you think like I made it. And then you realize, Oh, there's another milestone. Like there's another thing. So, you know, getting in all the bye-bye baby stores nationally was such a huge, huge milestone. We were so excited. And then we thought, okay, you know, we're good for a while. And then you realize like, oh, I ha- it has to sell through, right? You have to get reorders <laughs> from stores. So it's not just a one and done kind of approach. It's like, we got to still continue to reach out to stores and make sure that the, you know, the managers understand it, the employees understand it. I mean, it's a very small product that is merchandised next to car seats, but it's very easy for people to just walk by. And so, you know, you sort of think, okay, how, you know, how's my packaging? Do I need to improve my packaging? So it's sort of this interesting multifaceted challenges of, again, just how do you make sure customers I mean, in our case, we just want to make sure that customers who are out there struggling with car seat buckles with their kids or with their grandkids know that they don't have to do that anymore. Like there is a better way. And I think, you know, there's just combinations of strategies of how to do that and how to reach those customers. Yeah, I would imagine that would be hard to depict on the package because how are you going to show, oh, by the way, if you're, you know, over 50 and you got a lot of CMC joint pain, how, you know, we have a way to fix this. You can't see that in a package and understand that little device that's in there is going to make their lives so much easier. So that, that would be quite difficult. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, when I talk about our audience, it's interesting. We found in you know, our primary audience that we targeted was grandparents just because that was top of mind. But what's been interesting, I think, is to find that there's 
two or three other markets that we didn't even anticipate, but we've learned about um, just through marketing and just by kind of seeing the reviews that come back. And so the other two markets that have been interesting are, you know, moms with long fingernails also. That's like a whole nother market that we never anticipated. So that's the um, moms. The younger moms with the um, long fingernails. Yeah. And also those younger moms, you know, you and I, we understand OT and we understand joint protection. And I mean, that's a whole area I haven't really gotten into because I think it might seem real salesy, but you and I know that um, joint protection is, is key to not getting this when you're 55 from overuse. And secondly, I, I saw in doing some research that if you push a pound at the thumb of at the end of your thumb that a pound pressure translates to 12 pounds at the cmc joint so you're putting 12 pounds of pressure at the cmc joint every time you press that button and if you've got three kids in and out of car seats four times a day that is extremely destructive to your joint and that is why my daughter who's like 30 something uses this every single day because she she sees my hands. She's got the genetic part. So now she has to watch out for the overuse part. Well, that I love that you brought that up because when I first saw your product, I was thinking this would have been perfect. I have twins and a, a child who's two years older and I had my twins at 43 and my thumbs hurt all the time getting them in and out of car seats. And honestly, I bought three different kinds thinking it would be better and none of them worked. I had three different types of seats because I was thinking, well, each one will give me a different feature and none of them were easy to, to open. And I actually did have acrylic nails and I had to take my thumbs off because I couldn't do it. So all those points that you mentioned are very good marketplaces and I can see how each of them you could market individually and continue to, to grow the, the opportunities. But I think from a hand therapy perspective, it is brilliant for us to have more hand therapists understand that because we know that the, you know, anything you do where you're pinching and pushing, you're, ex you know, exerting so much force on your CMC that you are facilitating something down the road, which we don't want. For and sure. then back, you're going to mention a third, a third market that popped up. We didn't anticipate. Yeah. So the grandparents, the, the moms with long fingernails, and then the third is actually kids who uh, are in like, say the third row of a carpool or school drop-off line and the parents are having to, um, and I know you can't see me, but reach back like from the driver's seat and maybe, you know, strain their shoulder, uh, trying to, injury. The, your rotator cuff to try to hands, you know, try to unbuckle them from the back row, or maybe they're even climbing over to the third row to unbuckle a child and the child's in the back seat whining saying, get me out, get me out. And I think some parents are pressured to move their kids into booster seats perhaps too early because they don't want to deal with the five point harness. You know, if you can move them into a booster seat, they can use the regular seat belt, which is a lot easier, have them, you know, be more independent. So everyone knows that a five point harness is the safest place for a child. So keep them in a five point harness but hand them a buckle me, hand them our tool to the third row, they can use it independently, unbuckle themselves and hand it back to mom or dad in the front seat. Everybody's happy, carpool line moves faster. So that's actually been a really interesting use case that we've only learned about through you know, reviews, really as people saying, this has saved my sanity of you know, kids screaming, having to get out of the car. You know, My carpool line at school doesn't even let parents get out of the car anymore. Um, so that's been a big thing too. That's an excellent point because I remember it well since my twins are only nine and and I did have them in the in the seats that were harder to get out and they couldn't get themselves out so there was there's definitely a need for that I, and that's a great opportunity and an idea I love it yeah. yeah so can you tell us a little bit about the Shark Tank and that's when I saw your your interesting amazing product I saw that you guys were on Shark Tank and 
I didn't get to watch the whole thing yet, but I peeked in it. And how did that even happen? And why did it happen? And just tell us a little bit about that whole experience. That's so cool. Yeah, it was. That, that's kind of been a dream for us for probably since the very beginning. I think, you know, we just heard from so many people, oh, you should go on Shark Tank. And I mean, personally, I love the show. So it was always something we were really interested in. So um, we auditioned back in, you know, they used to have open calls. I know they're not doing them right now, but they used to have for the last uh, 11 seasons, they've had open calls where you go and wait in line. And we were in New York for, I think, a meeting with a buyer and decided, you know, it happened to overlap. And we thought, well, let's go check it out. And we got up at 5 a.m., waited in line with a bunch of other crazy people like us with our inventions and, um, and you pitch and it's two minutes and it's very quick. And that's a really awesome experience. And, um, we made it a little bit through the process and then unfortunately, you know, didn't make it to the end of that process. And I just share that because, you know, not everything is a one and done success. So we didn't make it the first year and then we went back the second year. Um, and we kind of weren't going to, I was sort of busy and not sure we wanted to. And my mom said, let's go, come on. And we went to Dallas and did the open call event there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, the process is long. We, I think we auditioned in, in Dallas in February of 2019 and we aired on Shark Tank May of 2020. So it's a very long process of, um, you know, back and forth working with producers. Um, we can't talk about a lot of that cause it's confidential, but it's just an amazing process. And the team is so supportive that whole Shark Tank or, you know, team and producers and everyone is just so encouraging of entrepreneurs. And that was really exciting to just feel like we were on this really cool journey with tons of support and, and great advice. And But the one thing um, is they, they always end everything they talk to you about with now, nothing's for sure. This is, we're not sure yet, you know, and they continue to come back with things like, well, what are your sales now? Because, you know, they want a certain amount of, of revenue that you've produced and they just, there's a lot they want. And so there's back and forth with us giving them information and them saying, well, okay, we'll be back in touch. And so you don't know, you don't know. And we really didn't know we were actually going to air even after we uh, taped and we taped in uh, September and then we aired the following May. And even during that time, we didn't know for sure that, you know, cause a lot of people go out there and tape and they don't get aired. Oh. <laughs> so we found out that we were gonna air I think three weeks before, I don't think it was any more than three weeks before. Is that right back? Three weeks. Yeah. before. It's yeah. very, it's very hush hush, the whole thing. So it's a really it, want it to be secretive so that, um, you know, well, that's it's TV and it's, you know, um, TV. yeah, they don't yeah. want people to really know what's coming next so that everybody has the curiosity, you know, to keep watching. So what happened with the whole shark tank opportunity and what, what do you, how do you feel that affected your business? It's been awesome. Um, just, you know, following the show, we've had tremendous interest, obviously our sales, you know, being on TV with, I think eight or 9 million viewers is pretty incredible. So our sales have been awesome. We've, um, strained and challenged our supply chain between that and, uh, COVID certainly we've had some upstream challenges with, uh, plastic manufacturing, um, colorants and things like that have gotten delayed. So we, we're dealing with a strange supply chain, which is, it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. So we're back. People keep saying it's a good problem, but it's a very, very stressful problem when you have orders and, and you, you can't get your inventory. Yeah. So it's a lot of customers, you know, so, so working with customers and all of that, but um, distributions are a big focus right now. We've had a lot of really cool, several distribution opportunities that have opened up after the show that have really been exciting. So we can't talk about them yet, but we're excited for the future. And again, just our goal is to make sure that this product's out there you know, for people who need it and don't know it exists. 
I'm so thankful for the opportunity to speak with both of you. And we do have a little promotion and stuff. If people email in info at handtherapy.com, I'm going to give them the, the promotions, your website, some photos that you all shared, because I think that that's a great opportunity for them to see a little bit more since this is on voice and they can't see all the little things that we were kind of sharing together. And I really am excited for what you all have done and so excited that this is just another boom for OT, the profession. And I love the mother-daughter team and it's just brilliant. And I'm just so thankful that you took the time and I appreciate both of you so very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Doing it. It was great. Nice talking to you. Thanks everyone for joining Hand Therapy Heroes. We hope that this podcast gave you lots of great ideas. Please send us an email to info at handtherapy.com and we'll send you the info sheet with their website and a promo code for an Unbuckle Me. We hope to have some amazing new classes on entrepreneurship and all these exciting things that we keep on learning from lots of wonderful therapists around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you more exciting stories. Thank you for listening to Hand Therapy Heroes. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Visit handtherapy.com and register for our newsletter containing free content and courses about our fascinating hands. Hold hands today for a more functional tomorrow.